Well, happy Father's Day to all the dads. I am so excited to welcome my good friend, Darren Erlewine to the stage today. Uh, Darren is a local pastor, author, and speaker, and his podcast, live seminar, and online course all aim to help people discover their unique God-given calling. He's also recently written a book entitled The Death of a Dream, so be sure to pick that up today. Uh, Darren and his wife, Julie, have three boys, Cole, Ty, and Knox, and a dog named Theo. Uh, Man, we are really honored to have Darren with us. Uh, I consider him to be a good, good friend, and so would you please join me in giving him a big Trader's Point welcome as he comes to teach today. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Morning, Traders Point. Such an honor to be with you this morning. I couldn't believe it. Uh, about six months ago, when Aaron texted me and said, "Hey, what are you doing Father's Day?" And I thought maybe we were gonna have a barbecue or something. I was like, "Maybe ribs at your house." But uh, and then he asked me if I could be a part of, of this Sunday, and I'm just so honored uh, to be here. Uh, the team has been so amazing. Uh, I got here and they took me back to the green room, and like I sat down and there were some pictures like on the like coffee table, and I was like, "Oh, the pictures, whatever." And then I like started looking the pictures. I was like. That's my family, right? They actually like printed out pictures of my family in the green room. So I'd feel like I was at home and I was like, that's next level. All right. So the team here at Traders Point's been amazing. And, uh, and they gave me a little gift bag and opened the gift bag. And it was awesome because it was this really cool uh, Ball State Cardinals blanket, which are like, why'd they give you a Ball State blanket, right? Because <clears throat> this morning... Uh, I was, I'm here obviously right now, you can see me, but I was here first service too, right? And uh, while I'm here right now, my oldest son, Cole, uh, he is actually moving into Ball State because he's going there to play football. And so uh, I missed this kind of like cool dad moment, right? Missing that this morning. But it was so cool I got here and they gave me the blanket. So uh, it's, it's, it's good days, right? And uh, it, the first service was so fun and I'm so glad to be uh, here this morning. And the thing um, that I love about what my son's doing this morning is he's chasing a dream, right? And uh, with zero guarantee of how it's gonna work out. And we're gonna talk about that this morning, about uh, how we chase dreams and how fragile, uh, sometimes how dangerous they can be. And we're gonna talk a little bit about what happens when we find ourselves on a detour that we don't wanna be on in our life. What do we do when that detour uh, finds uh, itself into a dead end? And how do we actually learn to, um, to become dependent in a God who actually has the ability to resurrect great purpose in our life? So that's where we're going. And, and I just want to take a minute before we do. Uh, this is Father's Day, and, and you've been you know, welcomed and, and, and wished Happy Father's Day multiple times. But you know what? What I know is that, um, that days like Mother's Day, days like Father's Day, um, they can be days of great joy. Uh, there can be days to celebrate your dad who was maybe the greatest person ever and he should, you know, get a statue somewhere. But then there's uh, other folks and, and a lot of us, right, where it's like, uh, you know, maybe, maybe dad wasn't the greatest. And uh, this day is, is frustrating to you. Um, for some of you, this could be a painful day because maybe one of your dreams is to be a dad and it just hasn't quite worked out yet. Um, as we get older, it can be tough because maybe this is one of your first Father's Day is without your dad. And so um, I just want to take a minute and pray for, for all of that. You know, for, for people that are like, this is so great. I, I love celebrating my dad uh, to, to folks where today's a difficult day. So let's just take a minute and, and let's pray uh, to our Heavenly Father uh, about that situation. God, we thank you for the day. 
Thanks for waking us up today, God. You've given us uh, breath in our lungs, and you've given us another day to be loved by you and to love others. And so we thank you for that. And God, today we, we take some time and we celebrate fathers. And I just want to thank you for being the ultimate example of a father. That even if we didn't have that example on earth, Father, we have it in you. And so I pray, God, that uh, wherever this day meets us, uh, that you would meet us where we really are and that we would um, receive your love. So we thank you for uh, the dad that you are. And we thank you for the dads in our lives. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're talking about dreams. <clears throat> One thing I think is interesting is that we all have dreams. I don't think I've met anybody that's like, I don't ever had a dream for my life. And, and sometimes we think they're dumb. Sometimes we think they're unrealistic. Uh, but we all had something that we thought our life would be. Right? I wanted to be this. I thought I could do this. And like I said, sometimes, you know, it's delusional. I mean, remember some of the early, remember those American Idol tryouts early on when like they made fun of people, right? When you could still do that in our culture, right? And it would be like, and it would be like, hey, you know, you, the dream to sing is good, but there's no talent here whatsoever, right? But we have these dreams and sometimes it's, it's, it's stuff that we're actually good at, you know? Like I, I, I want to, I feel like I have an entrepreneurial gift. You know, I, I dream, I wanted to start a company. I wanted to start a family. I wanted to fill in the blank. You had some kind of dream in your life. And, and most of the time, once I talk to somebody that's anywhere around like 17, 18 years old, you begin to find what happens more often is I had a dream and then it died, right? I had the way that I thought my life was going to work out. I had my life the way I thought it was should work. And now I have the life I'm currently living. And so for all of us, we are in some kind of place in that position where I have the life I'm living. I have the life that I thought I was going to live. And somewhere in the midst of this, I still have this belief that God has a calling and a purpose on my life. And how do I live in the tension between that? So that's the journey we're going to take today. I'm going to tell you a little bit of my story uh, that, I, that I put into a book that came out last year called The Death of a Dream. We're going to look through the story of Joseph in the Old Testament. Okay, And in that, I, I hope that you find your own story and realize that, that, that God has created you on purpose and for a purpose. That he is unbelievably near you in your life. And guess what? He's actually for you. And I pray that as we get into this, you have an amazing moment with God this morning. Let's start with Joseph in the detours that our dreams take us. We're back in the Old Testament here, Genesis chapter 37, and we check in with Joseph and the detour he's about to take on this dream. The story goes like this, Joseph had a dream. Okay, so we're in good company with, with, with our bro Joe here, okay? And it says that when he told it to his brothers, they hated him all the more. So we know we've got a great family dynamic already going on here, right? It's not like they, like they started to hate him. It's like there was some pretty strong hate, and then this one just went next level, right? Now we have ultra hate for the little brother, which I, it hurts me, right? Because I was a little brother. We got any little brothers in the mix, brothers, sisters, younger siblings? Good, good, all right. For a minute there, I thought we weren't going to participate. I was going to be like, hey, this is going to get awkward. I'm going to ask you questions. You stare at me. It's going to be a long day, all right? What about older siblings? You got older siblings? I knew they would, they would be quicker, quicker to it, right? <laughs> That's right, I noticed, and I had in charge of the family, right? Joseph tells the brothers his dream, and he says, hey, guys, listen to this dream I had. We were binding sheaves of grain out in the field when suddenly my sheaf rose 
Paul's instant upright. Well, your sheaves gathered around. Why did they bow down to it? Bowing down. Me. His brother said to him, do you intend to reign over us? Will you actually rule us? And they hated him all the more because of his dream and what he had said. Now, here's, here's a part that, that may have set up the detour in your life, and this is where it gets painful. Is what may have happened in your life was when you were in junior high, high school, college, or something, you began to vocalize things that you were dreaming about. And when you have a family system around you that says, we believe in you, we love you, you can do it, those things gain momentum. But the truth is that some of us lived in real families, right? <clears throat> and part of the pain and some of the, the, the detours in your life we're about to take a look at, right, unfortunately started by people close enough to you not actually believing what you could do or what you could become. And these detours are difficult, especially when we begin to feel like potentially that the dream that we have is from God, right? Which I think is a little bit of where Joseph was. Like, I'm having these divine type of dreams. I feel like, like maybe this is actually from God. I'm going to tell you my story in a minute, right? That's kind of how I felt. Or I think the more dangerous one sometimes is we have a dream we feel like this is not, not, not from him, maybe, but it's for him. God, why wouldn't you make this dream happen? It's obviously for you. Joseph has another dream, and he tells it to his brothers again. Listen, he says, I had another one. If you didn't like the first one, you're going to love the, the sequel, okay? He says, I have another one. This time, there's no wheat involved. This time, the sun and the moon and 11 stars were bowing down to me. Right now, it, this is cosmic now, right? This is a universal type dream. It's just getting bigger, bros. It's just getting bigger. We told his father and his brothers, his father rebuked him and said, what is this dream you had? Will your mother and I and your brothers actually come and bow down to the ground before you? His brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the matter in mind. If you don't know the whole story, we'll get to it throughout the day. But if you do know the whole story here, isn't it interesting? Is Joseph was actually seeing exactly what God had created him to do. Now I didn't get it, and at this point, it's coming off with the side helping of arrogance, right? Self-focus. But it's from God. And what I want to tell you this is, is, is there's very potentially, very possibly, I would say almost probably, there are some dreams that you have felt in your soul since you were little that didn't get there because of you. That God has actually created you on purpose and for a purpose. And he's been weaving together and planting seeds in your soul to call you towards his macro purpose for your life. But sometimes to get there, we have to find ourselves on a detour. Right? Detours, let's define a detour real quick. A detour is a long or roundabout route that is taken to avoid something or visit somewhere along the way. It's a roundabout route taken. It's not the direct route. And I don't know about you guys, but, but I just wish dreams in life came with like GPS for the detours. Wouldn't that be great? But they don't, do they? Like life is like driving back in the day without, without you know, a GPS when you hit the detour sign. Is there anything worse than that? Even, you know what? Even with GPS, guys, well, 
Ladies too, but just, I mean, it's a Father's Day deal, maybe, okay? Ladies, don't be offended by it, but let me just talk to the guys for a minute. Anybody else, when the GPS tells you your, your, your approximate time of arrival, you begin immediately to argue with that? Anyone else, right? It's like, oh, 502. <laughs> well, not this guy, right? I don't know, GPS, if you've seen me drive and my ability behind the wheel, but we will probably be closer to like 452, <laughs> all right? And, and, and then from that point on, you're not enjoyable to be around, right? <laughs> What's wrong with dad, right? We've got a time to beat, like you're going for it. And the worst part is where you're going and it's like rerouting your route. You're like, no, there's no rerouting. We have a time to beat. We have a thing we're doing, right? And at least with GPS, though, it lets you know, like, okay, fine, it's going to add five minutes. We're just going to go over here, take a left, go through the cornfield. We'll get back on 75 later. It's going to be fine. In life, that doesn't happen. Sometimes you just find yourself on a detour and you go, wait a second. Like, I had a dream and I had a plan and this is the way it was going to work. And it was going to be step one and step two and step three. And I don't know what step this is, but it's nowhere near what I had planning for my life. And how long does this last? Is this like a, a week? Or is this like a year thing? My first detour wasn't quite as dramatic as, as Joseph's. We'll talk about his in a minute. So for me, I grew up in Arizona. And I loved Arizona. And I was in third grade, and my brother and I went to this Christian bookstore uh, to find a tape. We need a new tape. Anybody remember what tapes were? All right, praise God. Praise God. All right. We, we went to find a tape, and we found this tape by this band we'd never heard of. They were called Striper. Anybody know about Striper? See, I knew it. I knew my rock and roll people were in the second service, all right? I asked that first service, they were like, we don't listen to that type of music. <laughs> anyway, so we went, and we tried to convince my parents to find the tape. It was called To Hell With The Devil. And we came to my brother, came up, and my brother and I came to my parents. We were like, can we go home with To Hell With The Devil? And my mom was like, to hell no to the devil. It's not coming home with us. Like, that ain't happening, right? And I don't know how my brother and I convinced my parents over the next week or so that we could get the striper tape because there wasn't the internet, right? So we weren't, like, researching. Listen to this, mom. Google says Christians really, you know, they're stripers, Christian. Somehow, I think we just wore them down, and they're like, just shut up. Go get the tape. But from the first time I listened to Striper, I got pencils out in my bedroom. I started playing on stuff, and I was like, I think I can be a drummer, right? And I was actually good at it from the beginning. And I was like, I think something about me being put on earth is to drum. And this is third grade. And from that point on, my whole life was focused around drumming. And I wanted to be Robert Sweet from Striper. He was my idol. I wanted to be him. Then I got a little older and started finding other bands. And so then these guys were my heroes after Striper. Motley Crue, so yeah, it was a little, it's a different time. It's a different time. But Tommy Lee, I wanted to be Tommy Lee so bad. I wanted to be Tommy Lee so bad because it was this weird part. I don't know if anybody trying to follow Jesus, you've had this issue where like you really do want to follow Jesus. But for me, I was a pastor's kid. My dad, you're going to see a picture of my parents in just a minute. But my dad was like a local church pastor. You know, let's just go to that picture real quick. Like, here's the problem, right? Here's me. <laughs> Mom, why, why do I have a sweater vest on? What's happening? I guarantee it's a clip-on tie, 100%. What is my hair doing, right? Look at this over here. It's like, it's still sticking up like it is today because this is just what it does. My hair just sticks up, and then the bangs, I don't even know. I guarantee my dad gave me that haircut, right? And I don't know about that mustache. I mean, was he a state trooper? Was he a pastor? Hard to say. It's hard to say. 
So I, I'm this guy dreaming about being Tommy Lee. And the tough part was like, I was like, wait a second. I, here's what I'm noticing is if I like want to do the drum stuff and be a rock star, like there's lots of girls and there's money and you have this drum set that comes out. And remember one time these drum sets spun around and did 360s all over the place. It was amazing. And then I watched my dad's life and I'm like, seems like when you follow Jesus, you don't have any money. Our cars are crap. And it seems to be the rule book here is one girlfriend, which is my mom, right? And so that's, <laughs> which I'm glad my dad honored to this day, but I'm saying like as a kid, and maybe you've been there, it's like, I want to do the Jesus thing. I think, maybe, not sure, what are we doing here? And I struggled with that. And so here's what happened is, is but, but I was like, all right, you know what, God, I'm, I'm in, whatever you want me to do. And then God was like, how about move to Indiana? God, I don't know if you know about Midwestern winters, of these, the nature of this situation, right? But I did it. I didn't know about this detour, but I went on this detour. It took me from Arizona all the way to Indiana. And here's what I found in my life, and we'll see with Joseph here, is most of the time the detour is not the route you want to take, and it is often actually way around the bend from where you want to go. But I have found through my life and Joseph's and hundreds of other people, it's often the divine plan where there's things he needs to actually root out of you and actually begin to seed into who you are that can only happen in the detour. But Joseph gets pretty aggressive. So Joseph went after his brothers and found them there, Dothan, but they saw him in the distance, and before he reached him, they plotted to kill him. Like if things got a little rowdy on the ride to church today and your kids were throwing things at each other in the back seat, listen, you are so much further ahead than these biblical proportioned families, right? Here comes that dreamer, they said to each other. Come now, let's kill him and throw him into one of these cisterns and say that a ferocious animal devoured him. <laughs> then we'll see what comes of his dreams. So when the Midianite merchants came by, his brothers pulled Joseph up out of the cistern and sold him for 20 shekels of silver to the Ishmaelites who took him to Egypt detour I had this dream and like my family was going to bow down to me or something I think I was going to be in leadership and now I'm a slave being taken to Egypt like this this is the, the detour hmm. some of you are on a detour right now and here's what begins to happen to us when we find ourselves in detours in our dreams, is we begin to believe that we are alone on the journey. Right, like if God was paying attention and I was loved, we wouldn't be on the detour. Because obviously God's will for my life is up and to the right. It's all success. There's no faith really involved. It just all always works out which means we're probably not reading the Bible all that often because most of the stories in the Bible, it didn't really all work out that well for a while. There was a lot of walking through deserts and around corners and detours. And here's what people found over and over again is this, is that life isn't fair, okay? My dad would say this to me all the time, son, life's not fair, but guess what? You are not alone, ever. 
If you're on a detour right now and you say, Darren, I don't know where I'm going. I don't know how long I'm going to be here. I, I get it, and I know it's uneasy, and I know it's challenging your faith. And I know you wouldn't have ordered this off the menu of life, but I promise you this. You are not alone. There is a God who loves you, who created you on purpose and for a purpose, and he is near you, not far away. So Joseph is taken down to Egypt. Potiphar, an Egyptian who was one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him there. Listen to verse 2. Here you go. The Lord was with Joseph, so he prospered. The Lord was with Joseph, and he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. When the master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord gave him success in everything he did, Joseph found favor in his eyes and became his attendant. Potiphar put him in charge of his household, and he entrusted to his care everything he owned. God was with him. God's with you. Don't doubt it. Tough thing for Joseph, though. He's just like, all right detour but this is working out God's with me I'm in charge starting to feel these leadership gifts maybe are working out I'm in charge of everything wasn't what I planned but that's cool and maybe you've had that too where like you had that detour then things leveled off for a little bit and you thought not exactly where I saw my life working out but this is good God's blessing praise hallelujah let's do it and then before you know it you take a left turn in life and find yourself at the dead end of your dream These are tough days. Joseph goes to Egypt. God's at work. Joseph's doing it right. He's put in charge of everything, and everybody starts to notice how well Joseph's taking care of the house, including Potiphar's wife. And she notices not just his ability to lead, but she says, oh, Joseph, you're not a bad-looking guy. Maybe you and me. And Joseph said, no, no, see, I'm a man of character. I'm, I'm following God, so no, right? And he resists her advance. In fact, flees from the temptation. I'm doing it right, God. I'm going to follow the rules. I'm going to do it right. I'm going to fast. I'm going to tithe. I'm going to volunteer. I saw the video this morning at Trader's Point, God. I'm going to volunteer with those junior high kids. I'm going to do it. Right? I'm going to volunteer. I'm going to be there every week. It's going to be good, God. I'm going to follow all the rules. And when I follow the rules, God, what happens is you make sure it always works out for me. That's the rule, right, God? I do it the way you want, and then it's, my life is perfect. Joseph says, no, 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 that's not how it's going to be. He flees from the temptation. She accuses him of sexual assault and is believed. And it says, Joseph master took him and put him in prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. We're no longer on a detour, friends. We are at a dead end. And he stayed in that prison for years. Wait a second, God. I, I thought you, you loved me and you loved us. And if that was the case, there's no dead ends to the dreams. It just, it's supposed to always work. And then it doesn't. And you find yourself at a place where you're wondering, is, is this dead end actually a death sentence? 
for my life, for my career, for my hope, for my marriage. I want to tell you this. If you feel like your dream in your life right now is at a dead end, it is not a death sentence. What God does in and through us in these dead end seasons is actually crucial to us learning things like humility, courage, gratitude, faithfulness, and dependency on him. Amen. Yeah. Because what we're going to find for Joseph, what we're going to find for Joseph is that he had a dream, but it was micro-sized and it was personal. That's usually where our dreams are in their first iteration. Like you kind of want it to be good for other people, but really our dreams are about us. And what God is trying to do in and through us is he's trying to invite us out of our micro-sized dreams and into his macro-sized purpose for your life that actually seeks his kingdom first in the coming of his kingdom before your success. And be honest, I'll be honest, I'm usually too selfish to sign up for that first. Right? We just are. If we weren't too selfish to sign up for that first, like there would be no orphans or widows or, or, or foster kids and when people would all have food and water all over the globe, right? But, but we don't because most of us are dreaming a micro-sized dream that's mostly about us. And then we get to these dead-end moments and God says, hey, listen, what do you say we start solving some of the world's greatest problems together? That's when life gets real interesting. So Joseph goes to jail. He's there for two years. I didn't go to jail, <clears throat> but my dream died. I did go to Indiana, and I, I put together a band with some friends, and guess what? It worked, right? Indiana's not jail, but the winner, come on. <laughs> and we started traveling all over the Midwest and all over the country, and we put a CD together. We're talking to record companies. We actually got to play the Sunset Strip, the Whiskey A Go-Go, the Sunset Strip, like where all my heroes had played. Like we played it. It was awesome, right? There's a story in the book about it, right? And, and, and we were opening for Delirious and all these big Christian bands back in the day, and I'm like, this is it. You follow Jesus, it all works out. Praise God, right? I knew it, God. You put me on earth to be a drummer since third grade. I just did it your way, and now I'm going to move to Nashville or maybe L.A., and just, I'm going to live my dream. And it was like right, like right there. And then we went to Baltimore, Maryland. And after the show, one of the guys in our band came up and said, hey, somebody robbed, uh, robbed us in the dressing room. I'm like, What? So we went back to the dressing room, which wasn't actually a dressing room. It was the youth room where we changed clothes. But anyway, it sounded cooler to say dressing room. Anyway, so we go back to the youth room, and all of our suitcases are poured out, but nothing's gone. Like, this is weird. So we search around, and we find out the only thing missing is $350 from our cash box. We're like, that's weird. So we go to New York City the next day for a day off, and we're kind of sightseeing around the Big Apple. And two guys in our band go, man, something doesn't seem right about that whole situation. So before anybody wakes up the next day, they go through one of our bandmates' suitcase and wadded up in a sock is $350 cash. So we confront him, we talk about it. He says, hey, it was Christmas coming up and things were tough and man, I'm really sorry. And so we forgave him and 
Said he went and got some counseling over Christmas break. Comes back second semester of our senior year. You know what? God's at work. It's going to be great. Praise God. No problem. That will never happen again. Awesome. Two days later, we're back home. I wake up at 6 a.m. to the knock on the door with two police officers to let me know there's been a break-in across the street and I need to come to be questioned. Hmm. Walking next door and stuff's turned over. We've got a TV laying on the carpet. There's a lamp. There's a VCR in the front yard. I'm like, what is going on? Nothing's gone. Nothing's broken except for $200 that were in a purse of a girl we let sleep there that night because she couldn't get into her dorm. And the cops come to us and they go, hey, uh, guys, we're going to tell you the truth about something. We think one of you did this. And we look back at the police officer and said, we do too. He did it again, and at that point, we had zero trust in who he was and what was happening and this dream that was right there, it was gone, and it was done by betrayal from one of my best friends. And you say, Darren, I mean, what's the big deal? It was just stupid college band, right? You guys probably sucked anyway, right? I mean, it's like, you know, like, it's not that big of a deal. Like, I had a band in college. I'm up here crying about it, talking a sermon, wrote a whole book about it, right? <laughs> like, go get some cookies and milk and shut up, dude. But see, I could say the same thing about whatever, you know, yours was. It's just a startup company. What's the big deal? Go start another one. It's just your first marriage. People call that a starter marriage anyway, right? So how could you say something so heartless about my dream? I'm not. What I'm just saying to you is I don't care what the situation is, is when we have something that has become a dream that we've pursued, it becomes a part of who we are. It starts to become our identity. And when it dies, most of the time, we're not sure what's left to live. But I promise you this, if you're in a dead end season right now, it is not a death sentence. What God wants to do is teach you dependency on him and then begin to transform you by the renewing of your mind to invite you into something so much bigger than whatever dream you once had that your life would begin to be formed and shaped by the purposes of God. (laughs) Joseph had no idea what was happening behind the scenes here, okay? We have to remember that. He's in prison for two years thinking, what is the deal? Like there's even moments where it kind of comes by where the cupbearer was there and he like interprets their dream and then the guy's like, hey, bro, when you get back, tell him I'm down here, remember me, I got you, bro. Two years, forgets him. God, what are you doing? Two years. I, I, I know the dreams I had when I was a kid. I know they were from you. And it would be great if God would have been like, Joseph, come here, listen, bro. There's a famine coming, and it's going to kill a lot of people. And I need a leader whose character I can trust to run all of Egypt and actually save my people. Because I'm doing this thing where, you know, my people and the covenant and then Jesus is coming. You know, y'all, I'll fill you in later. But I need someone that I can trust with that level of power and authority. And so what I'm doing in you is I'm preparing you to handle the weight of the calling that's coming. And so as you're sitting here in this dead end season, what you're learning is stuff called humility and dependence and faithfulness and gratitude. And and you're learning to lead in every situation possible. And I know you don't see that. And I can't tell you that, right? I'm just going to tell you this. I'm with you. Trust me. 
And, and right now, that, that might be exactly where you're at, where you're like, yeah, Darren, that's what I need. I need that email that tells me exactly what's happening. You're not going to get it. What you're going to get is God showing up in the everyday spaces and places of your life through the word of God, through written songs, through poems, through friends, through situations where he continues to, to draw you closer in dependency to say, I love you and I'm walking with you. I'm near you. I'm not far away. You see, we know that he was with Joseph because Joseph leads and he continues to be blessed in the prison. But I think what we know is that, that Joseph went through a process that we have to all go through, and I need to pick up the pace, is you, you don't get out of dead ends unless you do their, let them do their work in you. And here's one of the first steps and probably one of the biggest steps that, to get out of a dead end is this, forgiveness. You say, Darren, can, I, can we choose a different word? Like, could there be another first step? Like, maybe ice cream. <laughs> Wouldn't that be great? Hey, you're in a dead end right now. Life looks bad. Tell you what you do. DQ. <laughs> Blizzards, they change your life. Forgiveness. And usually when you're at a death of a dream, there's one of three people that have to be forgiven. The person who hurt you, you, or God. And when whatever, however you got it, if somebody betrayed you like they did me or how Joseph's brothers did, here's the tough thing about this is, is, is we have to remember that forgiveness is a one-way street. Reconciliation is a two-way street. So, so many of us are holding on to the pain that someone else caused because we think that if I forgive them, I've got to reconcile. And, and that's not true. Biblically, that's not what we're told. We're told to forgive. We don't always have to reconcile. You see, when you let go of the debt someone owes you because God let go of the debt you owed him, what happens is you're free from that. And then bitterness doesn't ruin your soul. Sometimes, though, at least in my life, I forgave him when it happened. But you know what I had to do for about the next decade, if I'm honest? Keep reminding myself, oh, yeah, I forgave him. He's forgiven still. You're still forgiven. You're still forgiven. If you're now in forgiveness number 160,224, that's okay. You still forgave them, but you're in process. The more difficult piece is, is, is forgiving yourself, though, isn't it? Like when we self-sabotage our dreams, that one's tough. And I don't know. Um, I want to encourage you to be curiously compassionate about yourself. You see, most of us spend a lifetime trying to fix our what's. The what's we did wrong. Most of us never have the courage to actually spend time figuring out why we did what we did. Compassionate curiosity transformed my life and I think it can transform yours as well. And then this last one is a doozy. It's God. You say, I don't know if that's theologically correct that you had to forgive God. God didn't sin against you. It's God. We're not talking theology here. I'm talking um, emotional and mental realities. As I know that some of you are here and you're mad at God. And I want you to know that he understands that. And he's not offended by it. He's actually slow to get angry and he's rich in compassion and mercy. 
And where your heart's broken, his heart breaks for where yours is broken. And he's not mad at you for being mad at him. But he would like the opportunity to be invited maybe one more step closer in so he can let you know that he was there all the time and that he loves you and that he specializes in redemption and resurrection. If you have a dead dream this morning, I want to tell you what God's will for your life is. I promise you this. I don't know the details, but I promise you God's will for your life is redemption and resurrection. That's who he is. Your hope is in the future. And that future is of redemption and reconciliation. It's tough stuff. Let me give you a little tip I forgot to give first service and I got to go. Here it is. If you're, if you're in a funeral season right now or you're in a, a death of a dream season, I want to encourage you to have a funeral. I mean it. If the dream is dead, here's what I want you to do. I want you to gather with people that you love and I want you to celebrate everything that it was. Everything they were, everything that it was, celebrate. Right? And then mourn it. Empty out a couple blocks of Kleenexes, cry it out, hug it out, talk it out, mourn it. And then here's what you got to do. Then you have to let it die. I kept my dream on life support for about 10 years. It was embarrassing. Okay. Anybody remember the movie Weekend at Bernie's? Remember? Bernie dies and they keep Bernie alive for the whole weekend, right? And he's just like dead, right? That was me for about a decade. It's like, hey, I'm still kind of a rock star. Bernie was over here, you know what I mean? People are like, stop, stop. Stop dying your hair that many colors. Take out your earrings. It's embarrassing for all of us, okay? But no one was kind and loving enough to tell me that. So I kept my dream alive for 10 years. At some point, you just got to let it die because it's only things that you allow to die that God is able to actually begin to resurrect, Right. Joseph's there in prison. The Lord's with him. He shows him his kindness, granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. So the warden put Joseph in charge of all he held in prison, and he was made responsible for all that was done there. The warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care because the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. Oh, so good. And then he's there for two years, and Pharaoh has a dream. Here's the deal. As we go through these dead-end moments, they will set us up for a defining moment. And here comes Joseph's defining moment. They said that Pharaoh has this dream, and it says, it says in the dream, right? Here we go. So Pharaoh sent for Joseph, and he was quickly brought from the dungeon. He had, he had been shaved and changed his clothes. He came before Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, I had a dream, and no one can interpret it, but I've heard it said of you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. So here's this moment where Joseph's being brought back, and he's like, man, this is my moment to shine, my moment to step into it. And here's the thing. I think the way this plays out, if it's 17-year-old, technicolored dream coat, I had a dream in the wheat and stuff, Joseph, he steps into that moment, he goes, you're right, you got the right guy. What is it? I'm here to save the day, right? You want to bow down too, Pharaoh? Because my brothers are coming soon, right? Everybody's bowing down. Been down there, need a shave and a shower in the prison, but somebody's about to be put on charge. That's what young Joseph would have done. But see, something happened in that dead end that transformed who he was. And he says, 
Tell you what, Pharaoh, I can't. I can't do it. But I know a God who can. You see, Pharaoh, this life used to be a lot about me, but it's, it's not anymore. It's about this God who's been with me on the detour and he was with me in the dead end. And, um, and if he would, he would give me the ability and I'll, I'll do this. Joseph does. And then he's put in charge of Egypt and he saves all of Egypt and he saves all of God's people from this seven-year famine. And then eventually, guess what happens? His brothers come and the dream is fulfilled. You have a defining moment coming in your life if you don't tap out. Maybe it's because I have three boys. Maybe it's just because I have, I don't know. I love UFC fighting. And um, I love the grit. I love the, the, the art form of it. And, and, and tapping out, if you don't know UFC fights, if you get put in some kind of submission hold right before somebody chokes a life out of you or breaks your leg or something, right? You just have to tap like this and the fight's over. But some of the most exciting fights are when someone is right at the verge of tapping out and somehow they manage to stay on until the, the horn sounds or they reverse it. Something happens, they don't tap out and then the unimaginable happens and they come back and win the fight. Those are some of the most exciting fights. And let me tell you something, if you're in a dead end season right now, please, 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 don't tap out. Don't tap out on the people around you. Don't tap out on yourself. But most of all, don't tap out on God. Because he's not tapping out on you. Yeah. So I'm, I'm walking across the park and my dream is dead. I'm in a dead end season and it's in January in Indiana. And now I'm like, Jesus has jokes, okay? And I'm walking home from an early morning class and it starts to sleet. It starts to sleet. Now, sleet, I don't know if you guys know, I'm not a meteorologist, but I did get some pieces of sleet and I put it under a microscope and I thought it would just be ice, wrong, okay? They are actually small little, they're shaped like the devil's pitchfork is actually sleet. So when, you're, when sleet is coming, it is actually spiritual warfare. They are small ice tridents being thrown by demons trying to slowly kill you. So just when that happens in February, just be like, I rebuke you, right? And so I'm walking across, and I'm in this dead-end moment, and God brings me to a defining moment. As I'm walking across the parking lot, and in the sleet, and all the, in the life, I hear in the back of my head, which I know it's the voice of the Holy Spirit, he asked me this question. Do you want to leave too? Do, do I want to leave too? Do you mean the ice storm? Yes. If there's a portal out of this ice storm, let's push, beam me up. I don't but see, I'd been reading the Bible the night before because I hadn't given up on God. And I read the story in Matthew chapter, or John chapter 6, or I think it's John 6. Let me make sure I'm preaching this sermon. I should know. Yeah, John 6. John 6, where the disciples found themselves in a dead-end moment, right? Because they're following Jesus and it's working out great, right? All their dreams are coming true. We're feeding people. He's walking on water. It's going to be great. Pretty soon he's going to kick the Romans out. We're probably going to be in charge. Power, authority. We're popular. Hello. Love Jesus. Right? And then Jesus is like, hey, I got a new sermon for you guys. Try this one out. Eat my flesh, drink my blood. <laughs> Peter, did you hear what he said? Uh, sorry. Guys, he said, what he said is, we have more fish and loaves for everybody. He said, eat the fish and loaves is what he said. Jesus, what are you talking about? 
No, no, seriously, you're going to eat my flesh and drink my blood. And, and droves of followers start leaving Jesus because they're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. We were here for free meals. But if this is a cannibalism thing, we're out. <laughs> and the, the disciples go from following Jesus the best immediately to, whoa, wait a second. Wait, my identity was in the, I'm the Jesus guy and it's going to be great, whatever. I didn't want the identity tied to I follow Jesus and stuff like this happens, Jesus. So I'd read that passage the night before. And what happens is all these people are leaving Jesus because of what it takes to follow. And, um, and then Jesus looks to the 12 and he says this. You do not want to leave too, do you? And here I am walking in a sleet storm with a dead dream, no idea what my life's going to be. And Jesus is asking me, do you want to leave too? And here's what I found, and I want to encourage you this morning. Is that... That was more of an invitation than it was a question. An invitation to follow him to where possibly only dead men and women can go. To follow him to where he had created me to be. So as I'm walking and crying in the ice, I repeat back to Jesus the, Lord, the words of Simon Peter. I said, Lord, where can I go? You have the words of eternal life, and I've come to know that you are the Holy One of God. And every day since that day, I've tried to wake up and keep following Jesus and not tap out. And I can't believe the life I get to live. It's not always perfect, but I know at this age that it was a pretty micro-sized dream I had at 19 when I was in college. And man, it's been good to learn to trust Jesus. In that parking lot, I forgot to read. I hadn't memorized the last words of Jesus, but I'm going to leave them with you. Peter says that, and then Jesus turns around, looks at Peter, and he says to the 12, Have I not chosen you? You're chosen. So I'm at a dead end right now. You're chosen by God. That's why Paul says, I beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling because you have been called by God. You have a calling. I don't care where the detour is taking you. He's with you. I don't care if you're in a dead-end moment right now. He's going to resurrect that because you are chosen, loved, redeemed. And he wants to resurrect purpose in you. I've kind of coined this phrase and talk about it a lot, and I'll leave you with this, is I believe that wherever you're going through right now, that nothing is being wasted. I believe you're being woven together into the tapestry of God's call in your life. And you look back and you go, Darren, there's a lot of loose ends going on in my life right now. I know that, but God is genius. Don't tap out, keep following him. And what you'll see as you walk with him day by day, week by week, month by month, year by year, is that nothing in your life is going to be wasted. It's all being woven into who you were created to be. Jesus, thank you for who you are. Thank you for the invitation to follow you. And I pray for anyone today that was considering tapping out. I pray that they wouldn't leave, but they would run to you because only you can redeem and resurrect. In Jesus' name, amen.